what a wonderful day to come together as the people of God. And I, we appreciate so much our orchestra being back, working and using your gifts to bring praise and glory and honor to God. And as those that heard the message this morning in the early service, orchestra is actually involved in the Bible story that we're going to have today from Second Chronicles chapter 5 through verse chapter 7. So that's where we're going to be today as we study God's Word together. And I, I told the 10 o'clock service this opening illustration to them because it dawned on me that um, something happened a few years ago. I'd just come here to be pastor and we had three worship services. And in that particular Sunday in the New Life building, um, I don't know if... if the, um, what happened to the to the machine? But there's a, a smoke machine that will sometimes help show the lights that you can see the colored lights a little better. But uh, that smoke machine um, was possessed by a demon, I guess. I'm not sure, but the but the smoke machine produced too much smoke, and so literally there was a cloud of smoke in the room so thick that the fire alarm went off. And so here we are trying to worship the Lord. There's smoke, and we have to open the doors, let the smoke out. But it's not um, smoke from burning. It's it's basically water vapor in the room and it was definitely something that I've never forgotten and so I just remembered that as I walked onto the platform at the 10 o'clock service. There was actually a time though in the history of Israel that the Lord himself came in the form of a thick cloud more than once but in particular it happened in 2 Chronicles chapter 5 through verse 7. So I'm going to summarize those chapters for you right now. But before we get into that, if you want to follow along with the message, you can use YouVersion, the Bible app, and click on events in First Baptist Church, or you can text FBC Notes to 77411. FBC Notes to 77411. And as Cody was saying, who introduced me before I preached last service, if you do that, then you'll know when I'm going to finish my sermon, at least when I'm going to be close to finishing the sermon. So maybe that will help you remember the message and also know when Pastor Cade's about to wrap it up. So those of us that are joining online and television, thanks for being here today. Let's just go into the Word of God together. This is a standalone message. We finished Joshua last week, and this is several hundred years after Joshua. Israel is now well established as a nation. They've had several kings. They had King Saul, they had King David, and now they have King Solomon, who has just completed the construction of the temple, and they're going to dedicate the temple to the Lord, and that's when the Lord sends His glory. When the Lord sends his glory. So the Bible says that King Solomon assembled together all of the leaders of Israel. All the heads of the tribes and all the patriarchs came there to Jerusalem to bring up the Ark of the Covenant into the temple from the city of David. So all the leaders of Israel, all of the um, Patriarchs, all of the heads of the tribes gathered together there in Jerusalem and it was the Feast of Tabernacles in the nation. It was the priests who were the ones that were allowed to transport the ark that brought the ark of the covenant and that tabernacle, that tent of meeting. They brought that tabernacle into the temple along with all of its furnishings there 
those holy utensils used for worship. So all those things were brought into the temple, the ark, the tabernacle. And as they were being brought into the temple, King Solomon and all of Israel there were sacrificing sheep and oxen, too many to count. Then the priest brought the ark of the Lord into its place, the inner sanctuary of the temple called the Holy of Holies. The priest then came out of the Holy of Holies in the most holy place, and then all of those Levitical singers made their voices heard in unison, and they were accompanied by musicians, those with cymbals, harps, lyres, and 120 trumpeters. When they all praised the Lord together saying, He is good, His love endures forever. Then the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord had filled the temple. Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in the thick cloud. I have built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you, God, to dwell forever. Then the king faced the people who had gathered there, and he blessed them. He said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept the promise he made to my father David, who wanted to build a temple himself for the Lord. But the Lord told my father David, you will not build the temple, but your son will build the temple for my name. Now the Lord, Solomon says, has fulfilled his promise. For I am the king in place of my father David and have built this temple to honor the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. Then Solomon faced the altar there, the Lord's altar in the temple, and then prayed a prayer before the whole assembly of Israel. And after he finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offerings and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. The priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled it, the temple. Then all the Israelites who had seen the fire come down and the glory fill the house bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground and worshipped, saying, Truly He is God, and He is good, and His mercy endures forever. Truly He is good, and His love and mercy endures forever. This is the Word of God, a summary of Second Chronicles chapter 5 through chapter 7. You can thank me for summarizing it and not reading all of those verses, all right? Good stuff from the Word of God. You know, when we come to a passage like this, it needs to remind us, even as I'm about to give you some principles of things that we might be able to do, a posture, a positioning, that we might see God send His glory among us, we have to remember that this took place ultimately because God in His sovereign goodness desired to commemorate this dedication of this momentous occasion for Israel, the construction of their temple, and he decided to send his glory among them. What is his glory? The glory of God is the sum total of all the attributes of God. And God 
chose by his sovereign goodness to present his glory, to manifest his presence both with a cloud and with fire to consume the sacrifices that they might know that he truly was the God of Israel. God is not a God that you can put into your box or my box or construct an image to show who he is. God is spirit, the Bible says. And all those who want to worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, Jesus says. So God is not like a genie in a bottle that you rub. He comes out, you tell him what to do. God is not like a machine that you push these three buttons and then God will do what you tell Tell him God is God. He cannot be put into any human box. I want to establish that. And so these principles I'm going to give you from the Word of God are really a guide, a posture to help us position ourselves. It's kind of like what Elijah says when God sends the fire down upon that offering in 1 Kings 18. Elijah, he had prepared the altar. He had watered it because he wanted to show that only God could send the fire. And all he could do was build the altar, was place the wood, and do what the Lord would have him do. But God had to send the fire. And God has to send his glory in his time and his way. That's introductory thoughts here. This is not steps one, two, three, four, and boom, God's going to send his glory. He's God. We're not. He's sovereign. We're not. You got it? All right. First truth. Because we can't apply this to our lives. I really believe that. I really believe that we can put ourselves in position to experience the Lord. Number one, we learn from this passage, God sends his glory when we are assembled together to worship him. He sends his glory when we're assembled together to worship him. Now, we know from the beginning of chapter 5, Solomon assembles all of those leaders of the tribes, the family patriarchs, all of those in charge. All the men of Israel have gathered together, chapter 5, verse 3 says. Chapter 5, verse 6 tells us that those who had gathered are referred to as the congregation. That's the word used, the congregation of Israel. Don't forget that. They're said to be the congregation of Israel. So they've gathered. They've assembled. And that's when God sends his glory. After the glory of God comes upon them through that thick cloud in the temple, then Solomon says this in 2 Chronicles 6 verse 1. The Lord, Solomon says, has said that he would dwell in thick darkness. So what is he talking about there? The Lord has said that he would dwell in thick darkness. Now God cannot be placed in some kind of predictable box. Yet what we do find with the Lord in scripture by his grace and mercy, he reveals himself to us often in patterns. We see things happen more than once many times that Reveal to us that our God is a God of order, a God of creativity, a God that often moves in patterns. And so we see this idea of God dwelling in the thick darkness. He is really referring, Solomon is, to Exodus chapter 19. 
what's taking place in Exodus 19, many years before. They will even have a nation and a kingship. Many years before, Moses is leading Israel. Joshua is his young assistant. And he has all of Israel come out from their camp, their tents, to the base of the mountain called Mount Sinai. And there, Moses ascends to the top of the mountain. He hears from God. God speaks to him. And God gives his law. He gives his commandments to Israel. And we're told that Israel were to consecrate themselves, set themselves apart, ready themselves to meet with God. And they come to the base of Mount Sinai. And the Lord himself is the one who speaks the words of the covenant. He speaks the Ten Commandments to Israel. And how does Israel respond? They're terrified. They're like, Moses, you speak to God. They are terrified by this thick cloud that has enveloped the mountain and this voice they're hearing. And so they were literally terrified of the glory and the presence of God. But God had manifested before in a thick cloud, and now he's going to manifest in the cloud of his glory again in 2 Chronicles 5 through 7. So patterns. Notice those patterns in the Bible. Now, our Greek word, our, our English word church, the Greek word for that means a called out assembly. The very essence of what it means to be a local church, the very essence of what it means to be the global church, the essence of being the church is to be a called out people that assembles. And how like our enemy to try to destroy the very identity, the very fabric of what it means to be a local church this last year of this pandemic by the church being scattered rather than being assembled together. And so I praise God that as things keep moving forward that we are assembling back together because when we assemble together to praise and worship God that's a pattern that we see in this passage that God will send his glory among us when we assemble as his called out assembly we are his people so when we come that's our first of our three words come grow Share. When we come to Jesus, what does it mean to come as a church? It means that we have gathered together, just like you are right now, gathered together as the people of God. Here's a question I want to ask How much expectation do we have that God might move in our midst, that God might speak, that God might reveal Himself? to us in these moments together. He is the same God yesterday, today, and forever, the Bible says about Jesus Christ. He is the same, and the Lord wants to manifest His presence by His sovereign goodness among us. But let us come expecting Him to move in powerful, even surprising ways when we assemble together. So God sends His glory, a principle, a pattern when we assemble together to worship. But also, number two, God sends his glory among us when we are willing to bring sacrifices to him. When we are willing to bring sacrifices to him. Look at verses 4 through 6 of chapter 5. 
So God sends his glory when we're willing to bring sacrifices to him. Verse 4, And all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites took up the ark. And they brought up the ark, the tent of meeting, and all the holy vessels that were in the tent. The Levitical priests brought them up. And here's, here's the key verse. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who had assembled before him were before the ark sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they could not be counted or numbered. This was not a normal sacrifice. I don't believe anybody who gathered that day for that temple dedication expected God to do what he did. I think they expected to bring sacrifices, to see the ark and all the utensils, the tabernacle, come into the temple. They expected Solomon to give a speech, maybe pray a prayer, bless the temple, bless them, everybody go home, have lunch. I mean, they, that's probably what they expected, but God surprised them by sending his glory. But this was no order ordinary sacrifice it was an extravagant costly slaughtering of so many of offerings to the Lord it was a very precious thing that took place our God has always demanded and required sacrifice for Adam and Eve to be covered in the garden after they fell into sin, it took the death of an animal and the skin to be placed around them to clothe them. From the very beginning of creation, we have seen sacrifice in the Bible. The Old Testament nation of Israel, their covenant revolved around sacrifices on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Once a year, a sacrifice being made in the Holy of Holies there by the high priest, but also regular offerings and sacrifices where an innocent animal would be slaughtered to atone for the people of Israel's sin. And what do we find in the New Testament? Again, patterns. A pattern of sacrifice. We have Jesus, the Lamb of God. And he is sacrificed on the cross. He gives his life to atone, to pay the price for the sins of the world, the Bible says. So sacrifice is all throughout Scripture. But for us, to bring a sacrifice to God doesn't mean that we somehow pay the price for sin because Jesus has paid the price for sin once for all. Just read the book of Hebrews. That's the main point. Jesus is superior to the old covenant. He has paid the price. So what does it mean for us to bring a sacrifice? It means for us to present to God, to place in the hand of God, to give up to God, to surrender to Him. And there's three things I believe that we can remember that we need to surrender to God or sacrifice to God. Number one, ourselves. We're to present our bodies to God. Romans 12, 1. We're to present ourselves, all that we are, to God. Number two, we're to present our things, what we own, what we possess. It is not ours, it's to be given over to God. And number three, our people. So ourselves, 
our things and our people, your loved ones, your family, your community, this church. You present the people to the Lord. If you're in charge of a group of people, you're a boss at work, you give your family, you give your, those people to God. Just as Abraham willingly gave his only son Isaac, the son of promise, to the Lord. And God had mercy and spared his life, but God required that. He's the same God. He sends his glory when we're willing to sacrifice to him, ourselves, our things, our people, when we assemble together in praise. But number three, God sends his glory when we praise him together. God sends his glory when we praise him together. And this is a trigger point. This is a very critical part of the story. Look at verse 13. And it was the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard in unison. That's a good musical term, but that they're all unified. In praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments, in praise to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud. This verse is saying more than God sends his glory when he receives praise. That is true. But what it's really saying more than that is that God receives and sends His manifest presence, His glory among us when we praise Him all together as His church. The Holman Christian Standard Version of the Bible translates the beginning of verse 13. The trumpeters and singers joined together to praise and thank the Lord with one voice. Lots of different voices. Lots of different timbres, different colors of sound. There's instruments, there's voices, but they're all unified together with one voice. So what are they doing? What are they, they're praising God, but specifically, what are their song lyrics? Pretty simple. He is good. His love endures forever. Man, we sang some of my favorite hymns this morning. When we all get to heaven and the solid rock. Wow. Such rich, meaningful lyrics and songs I've heard for years in my life. It transports me to the throne of God. But for those that prefer hymns over praise songs, this is a praise song that they're singing. I hate to burst your bubble. Am I saying praise songs are better? Because the Bible says in Ephesians that we're to bring to God psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. This is a spiritual song. It's a praise song. It's simple. Simple enough for a child to say, God is so good. His love endures forever. For those that maybe prefer just a, a, a piano or an organ, or those that might prefer a, a drum and a guitar, uh, again, bubbles burst by this, right? They got their own version of an orchestra, which we had today, but it's, it's not really a balanced orchestra, all right? I feel sorry for the stringed instruments and the woodwinds. There are no woodwinds there because the brass has taken over 120 trumpet players. 
Listen, there's one word for that, and it's loud. <laughs> and it doesn't say they were beating the drum. It says they had cymbals. Cymbals are loud. And so the poor um, harpists and lyr- players, lyrists, I mean, they're overwhelmed by the singers and by the clang of the cymbals and by the trumpet. But it doesn't really matter the style or the elements. What matters is the unified worship that God is receiving. It's beautiful. So there's some, I think, principles from this whole experience that we can learn for what what took place. Because we can't completely replicate this. Uh, I doubt next Sunday we can have 120 trumpet players in all of our services. Hey, let's go find somebody who plays the lyre. Who even plays the lyre anymore? All right. So again, this is not like cookie cutter, carbon copy. It's a principle. What are the principles? It's unified. It's unified praise. Everybody is singing and playing together. It's jubilant. It's joyful. It has some volume and there's instrumental diversity. That's beautiful to God. It's focused on who God is. It could be the greatest song in the world. But it's the songs that focus on the character of God and who God is that glorify Him the most. He is good. His love endures forever. And it begins with the leaders. We're not told while they're singing and playing that the congregation assembled is singing along. Now they respond. They end, as we'll see next point, by falling on their face in worship. So worship takes place. They're all praising God together, but the music is coming from the leaders, the Levites, the instrumentalists, the singers. So worship needs to flow in a congregational assembled setting from those leading the worship. They're to be not worship leaders, but lead worshipers themselves. We're all called to praise the Lord like this, in unity, with a joyful noise, focusing on who God is, and our lead worshipers set the tone just like the Levites did. Know this, church, is not the Ark of the Covenant that brought the presence of God into that holy temple. It wasn't the people of God. Uh, it wasn't the sacrifices. And they were important that they were presenting to God. It was the people of God praising Him loudly, both with instruments and their voices in unison for His goodness and enduring love. That was the trigger that sent The cloud, the Lord's glory invaded that temple and the trigger was the praise of God. God sends His glory when we praise Him together. Oh, no doubt we can testify today if you're behind this podium of times that you've sensed the very presence and power and goodness of God in your life when you were gathered with the people of God in the moments of praise and worship unto God. God still sends His presence, His goodness among us when we unify together in our praise. So we got to assemble. That's a principle. The church scattered. For mission, we assemble that we might experience His presence together. We bring our sacrifices to God, not to atone for sins. Jesus Christ paid the price for all sins. We bring ourselves, we give our things, we give our people to God. And then we bring joyful, unified praise to Him. 
But lastly, God sends his fire, God sends his glory when prayers are offered unto him. Now you can thank me that I didn't read all 30 verses of Solomon's prayer in chapter 6. It's a beautiful prayer. He praises the Lord God for keeping his covenant of promise. His love that he made to David. He's humble in his prayer. Solomon says, this temple that I've built cannot contain you, God. Nothing that we build with our hands can contain the living God who is above, who is higher, who is greater than any human construction. He is greater, and so he's humble. He asks for the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, for all the people that are going to sin against God there in Israel. He says, God, hear our prayers that we pray toward this place. Then he concludes his prayer by saying, Lord God, arise and come take your resting place. And in his sovereign goodness, God says, yes. How? Look at Chapter 7, verse 1. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Yes, there was glory once again in that temple, but there was also fire. Once again, we find patterns in the Bible. 1 Kings 18. It's the prayer of Elijah. It's the prayer of Elijah, the prayer of faith, saying, God, show these people you are the one true God. And God sends the fire and consumes that water-soaked offering that was there before God. It was the fire that came through the prayer of Elijah. We see in Acts chapter 1, the early church has gathered together, waiting together in prayer for Jesus to send the promised gift of the Father. And the church is baptized in the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2. And what is seen? Pattern, tongues of fire over the heads of those early Christians. Fire always follows prayer. We see it time and time again. We want God to send his glory, but I want God to send his fire among us. It's the prayer of the people of God that brings the fire of God. Don't ever forget that. Let's wrap it up. Verse 2 tells us in 2 Chronicles 7, the priests earlier couldn't even stand up to minister. Now it's so thick in the temple they can't even enter into the temple to minister because the glory of God, the thick cloud, had filled it up. Verse 3 is the conclusion of this dedication. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of God on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For He is good. For a steadfast love endures forever. Today this message is for Christians. Because this building's not the temple. We are the temple of God. And today you can know that Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord by admitting to God you sinned against Him, by putting your trust in Jesus Christ who died for you and rose from the dead. You put your faith and hope in Him. And guess what happens? God sends his glory into you through 
His own presence. The Holy Spirit lives in your heart, giving you the power to love and serve and follow God. And, and that Spirit in you, the Holy Spirit, will just manifest and you'll praise the Lord and you'll feel His power and His goodness. And it's His Spirit that we share together as one church that will draw us that we might see a manifest outpouring of more of His goodness, of more of His grace, of more of His power. This message is for Christians. But he fills us. He sends his glory in us. But you bring a bunch of glory, filled people together, guess what you got? A lot of glory, a lot of God in this room as we worship him, sacrifice unto him, assemble together, give him praise, and pray that he might send the fire. America needs fire from God. America needs salvation. This world needs Jesus. Let us pray fervently. Let us gather faithfully. Let us sacrifice abundantly and let us worship joyfully together as one. Father, I pray right now that as we stand and sing, oh, such a great song of response, that we stand amazed in the presence of Jesus. Lord, I pray our praise will be unified, joyful, triumphant, Lord, together that you would send forth your Holy Spirit upon us, among us, Lord, and that you might convict of sin, that today your fire would fall, your glory would fill our hearts in this place, God. We want to know you more. We want to love you more, God. Have your way in our lives, oh God, we pray. Let this be your time, your time right now, God, as we respond to you together as your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand now with me as we sing this wonderful song. Stand amazed. Stand in awe of God and worship Him right now. If you want to make a public decision for Christ, join this church. Say yes to believers' baptism, to salvation. You come right now. We'll receive you. We'll pray for you. This altar is open. We'll take as much time as necessary to give ourselves to God in full consecration unto Him. Worship Him. Praise Him. Call on His name right now as His church.